to a zero credit supplemental reading for today, whatever today's date is. My name is John. And my name is Henry. And today we're talking about the Netflix original series, Stranger Things. Starring, I believe, Winona Ryder. And I believe, Millie Brown. And also, I believe, David Harbour. And featuring some guy who looks a lot like John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. Yeah, like his kid brother or something. Yeah, so uh, what did you think of this Stranger Things, Henry? Stranger Things? Yeah, like what did you think of its premise? The premise is that there's a small town that exists in 1983. 83. It's somewhere in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Nebraska? Yeah, probably. It doesn't matter, I guess. Something like that. Ohio? Nope. Yeah, it does. I guess Midwest, somewhere in the Midwest, and in the in the first episode, a small boy named Will Will disappears. Will Byers after playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's right, folks. The first scene of this whole series is small kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I that's actually like. That's how I sold it to somebody to get them to watch it. And kind of parallels to E.T., which, I mean, it's the first of hundreds of parallels to E.T. that this show has. Uh, how did E.T. open? I don't remember. I'm too young. E.T. had Dungeons & Dragons in it. Did it? It did. It did? I think so. You're wrong. All right. Not video games? I mean, it had the E.T. video game. Oh, don't even talk about it. It's in a landfill. Actually, they found the landfill. Did they? Yes. What's in it? They just millions of copies of this one game. Oh, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it really ruined the the value of the cartridges that were out there. So Will Byers disappears. He does. And the the series essentially opens with this town trying to cope with his disappearance, much like in the style of Twin Peaks. Very very Twin Peaksy. This show has very specific vibes going on, and not just the fantastic synthesized vibes of its amazing soundtrack can we talk about the soundtrack for the rest of this episode yeah no we can even just the theme with the the weird haunting like creeping like i can't like recreate it but it's like something stepping behind you you cannot watch the opening to this show and not be hooked oh yeah because everything about the opening to this is so classy so trendy but retro like, the the typeface used for the title evokes so many strong feelings of, of horror authors, of classic sci-fi and horror movies, without actually reminding you of anything in particular. Like, you see it, and you're like, oh, that's very Stephen King-y, but you look back at Stephen King's typefaces, nothing matches that exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's very reminiscent of something that you can't place. And that's kind of... There's a lot of things in this series that do that. I mean, the the series as a whole is just this very almost deja vu feeling of you've experienced this before without actually being like a directly inspired by or a direct homage to something in particular. It's really weird because we've been on this weird kick of talking about nostalgia and like the influence that has on a thing. Mm -hmm. And Stranger Things is using nostalgia in a way that I don't think I've seen before and that it's invoking the feelings of all like uh, like a bunch of individual works and putting it into an, uh, an inherently original new work. Mm-hmm. 
I we talk about, a lot about like intertextuality and how nostalgia can be dangerous. But Stranger Things does this really interesting thing where its use of nostalgia creates something new, creates new feelings, and it uses it as a weapon of good, which is so rare in things today. Yeah, it, and uh, so we, we kind of got lost from the premise. So yes. Will, Byers Will Byers disappears after playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And so his friends... Dustin Hoffman... No, his friend Dustin. Dustin and Lucas and Mike. Dustin, Lucas, Mike. All played by, you know, found talent. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any... This is their first big thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for the most part, other than, say, Winona Ryder, most of the people in this movie, this is the first thing of significant size that they've been a part of. Yeah, David Harbour had been in a few things, but he's always playing the same type. Essentially, yeah. He's what, I guess you might refer to as a character actor mm -hmm. but i think he, this is kind of like a breakout role for him oh he's so good uh, we'll talk about that later all right so the three kids you know they're told by the parents or whatever that oh you don't need to worry about will the police are on it whatever blah 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 and uh you know they do what all all groups of small kids did in the 80s yeah they went to solve a mystery, and they found so much more. So the show, really, for uh, for most of it, it is these uh, these like two parallel mysteries. This one mystery being solved in parallel by two groups, by the the children, and by children I mean the twelve year olds, the, the core three twelve years, but also the uh, the sixteen year olds. Oh, you're including them in the first mystery. I'm. I mean, the the total mystery is the disappearance of Will Byers. Yes. But I think that, really interestingly, the the two groups, the adults and the children, are solving the mystery in very different ways. It leads them to very different conclusions. And the teenagers are kind of a bridge between these two. Okay. Because they have the reason of the adults, but they are more easily influenced and more want to believe the things that the younger children will believe about the more fantastical elements of Will's disappearance. Which is one of my favorite things about the show, the fact that these teenagers are essentially in the middle of two schools of thought of rationality yeah. versus irrationality. And their their recourse from that is to buy a bunch of weapons and traps. Yeah. Which is the best part. Also, to be fair, this is a supplemental reading, so it is Spoilers. A, it is a spoilful zone. Spoilers. Welcome to the spoil zone. What took Will? What took Will? The Demogorgon. What's a Demogorgon? A, well, a Demogor well, Demogorgon is actually a demon prince in Dungeons & Dragons. You th okay, so here's a thing. Yeah. Alright, I watched it. You watched it. Uh-huh. The people at home who are listening watched it. Mm -hmm. Let's all put our collective minds together and see if I'm reading this right. Alright. So back in the 80s, the government MKUltra... That's a real thing. That is a real thing. They Terrifyingly. They experimented with these 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 enclosed sentry deprivation tanks. Mm -hmm. And this show is using that as a device along with L. Mm -hmm. who... Eleven, played by Millie Brown. That's Millie Brown? Yes. Alright. A small girl child who... <laughs> Sound like a robot. A small child girl, please. Who, uh, who is the, the daughter of an LSD-addled experiment subject from mk ultra i believe really right? yeah i well i believe the idea is that she was part of the mk ultra trials and then went on to have a daughter who was l okay 
Who was then put into sensory deprivation tanks. Yeah, taken from her mother and then experimented on to essentially turn her into a telepathic, uh, telekinetic weapon. Yeah, yeah. A, a, you know, the living, breathing weapon, mm-hmm. which is what the Russians tried to do, the Germans tried to do, mm-hmm. America tried to do. And so L in this fictitious world of 1983, is one of those. Yeah. And, furthermore, she can sense things Mm. and she senses a reflection of the world that was always there Mm -hmm. and in that world there was a monster what what i think what i think happens is it's pretty it's pretty clear that l is able to travel into a place that isn't any reality it's just blackness and And, and she's able to pull things out of that reality like they they have her spy on people remotely to to hear their thoughts or what they're saying and in this this black place, she pulls in, I think, a, a Russian missile commander to hear what he's saying or hear his thoughts. Yes. And it's it's pretty clear that in this between place, she encountered something else that knows how to do that, too. Okay, so Elle went to not the Upside Down. Yeah, she went to a place between the two places. This is total theory, but I think that's the case. And that thing, mm-hmm. the demigorgon, for lack of a better term, yeah, lived in the Upside Down. But it, it could go to this other place. And L reached out, like, made contact with it, which is what brought it here in the first place. Yeah, it followed her back. Alright, so, I guess my, my main hookup is... There's an upside down, yes, parallel world, total parallel universe, not parallel universe, parallel world to Earth, yeah, at least. And there's only one monster there. That's the only monster we see. Yeah, see, that's why that that's the lingering question is mm-hmm. like, what purpose does this other world serve if it's dark, empty, and it doesn't seem to have many denizens beyond this one monster and maybe that slug thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the slug thing was, but it came out of Will's mouth. But there, there is a definite impression that you get that there is more to that world than not. Because clearly, this thing... Well, I guess it's kind of unclear because the thing can, can build gateways to our world. Like in that tree where it takes the deer. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think the idea is that it broke into our world through that place in the lab with the deprivation tank. Because you see that big black crack go up the wall, and then they lock it all down. And I think it just spreads out from there, and it, it spreads the tunnels through which it can enter our world. I definitely got the idea that it had an innate ability to enter our world by some means. Mm-hmm. And that uh, the crack in the lab is it's like its anchor point. You mm-hmm. know, that's its reference point. It spreads out from there because that's, it's like, to, to him, it's the landing net in the... Um, I don't know what I'm saying. Normandy? Yeah, I guess. No. Okay. No. no, but it's like it's Christopher Columbus landing in... in the, it's the Plymouth Rock. It's Plymouth Rock. It's, it's Plymouth Rock, and okay. from there it spreads. Yeah. Um, Cut out that part where I was unsure about stuff. All right, cool. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just like so much about this monster that I just wanted to know about because it's, it's the only thing besides L that's strange about Stranger Things. Yeah, the monster, I think part of the reason the monster is so terrifying is because it plays by rules you don't or can't understand. And, you know, this show's slated for a second season, we're probably going to find out more. But uh, 
definitely the fact that the monster was this unknowable thing from this world that didn't lay its rules out yeah made it all the more terrifying because when you end up with a situation where people from our world go to the upside down which is what they call it uh you fear for them because you have no idea what the rules are there yeah we still don't know we we know the air is toxic yes maybe and there are slug things that eat your insides yes and everything's covered in not spider webs but it looks like goop wasn't the demogorgon feeding on something when l found it when l yes when l found it yeah when l found it in the the black place so there are things there to eat but unless it snatched something from somewhere else so it's also entirely possible that in this place that Elle goes into, only she can do that. Yeah. But something about it made her pull that thing out of the other side when she meant to just pull out the... Oh, man. The what? Whatever. This is super dumb theory, but what if everyone has, like, a weird monster counterpart in the Upside Down and she just, like, pulled out this guy's weird monster counterpart because she was pulling out one guy in Russia. Yeah. And she brought back this weird... I don't know theory we don't know the rules we don't know the rules but that's a good thing because you don't want to know the rules and something like this i don't want everything laid out for me um and i feel like the show does a really good job of keeping you guessing and i say that and pretty in a pretty fascinating turn it just tells you what the mystery is about halfway through what do you mean by that about halfway through the show you everyone is kind of on the same page as, as an audience so it does... Okay. So I, I think... Let me explain the sh- how the show works, I guess. Mm. For the first, like, three or so... Maybe three to four episodes, the the larger mystery is Will Byers. Where did he go? Mm-hmm. He's missing. They find a body. Yes. At, like, the end of the third episode. Mm-hmm. And then it's revealed in the next episode that that body's a fake. So yeah. the mystery's still alive. Mm-hmm. But, but kind of... But, Around the the fifth, the fifth sixth episode, mm. uh, we no longer think anyone's crazy on the show. Exactly, we we lose the we lose all uncertainty because up until this point, we've seen hey, there's this monster. It takes people. It's from this weird place. Also, the government might be shady. Yeah. By episode four or five, they're saying the government is shady. Everyone knows it. The government is responsible for this thing. The government is responsible for Eleven. We, as an audience, and most of the characters on the show are on the same page at that point, And we just get to see how they deal with that information. Yeah, I, I really <clears throat> I really like the departure from the, well, is Renona, Renona Ryder's character crazy? And it wasn't, the audience knows from the get-go she's not crazy. Because mm-hmm. we, we see everything that happens. But it's kind of like we needed the characters in the show to wisen up and say no she's on to something yeah she's one of the fastest thinking like smartest moms who has lost a son to a supernatural being i've ever seen and i mean if they had belabored the point of people pitying her or trying to help her throughout the whole season that would have had no teeth it was really interesting that they made also winona Ryder does a great job of being a grieving mom she's Heart- awesome heartbreaking stuff really oh, she- great actress but man quick on the on the feet yeah no she figures things out real quick the light bulbs yep that, that's awesome i love that I, you know it's like oh man she from the outside people can really say she's she's going insane and crazy painting letters on her wall mm-hmm. but it's like everything makes sense mm-hmm. everything makes total sense and you never 
you feel sorry for her, A, because her son is gone. And you also feel sorry for her because no one could possibly not see her as totally crazy. And she gets that. Oh, yeah. Like, when people approach her, she's like, I know this is the craziest thing in the world. I cannot make this less crazy. But the thing is, that's what a crazy person would say. Exactly. So it's like, based on her word alone, we can't trust her. Mm -hmm. It's not... I mean, if, if Hopper didn't keep pushing, didn't keep pursuing, you know, the story would turn out different. He, he's the... The whole sort of mystery really hinges on him. If you're okay with breaking it down this way, I'd actually like to talk about the characters almost as groups or pairs. All right. So I want to talk about the adults first, because that's the most rational side of it. So Hopper and... Hopper and whatever Winona Ryder's character name is. Yeah, I want to say... Jan? Jan? Maybe. Uh, so... Nipper? Th- no, no, no. Janipper? So they're... They're these great characters because they're both very aware and very competent. Because when you see both of them, crazy grieving mom, uh, messed up chief of police. Yeah. uh, You see him, he's he's drunk, he takes a lot of pills. He's clearly not of his right mind when you first see him. He clearly has a lot of darkness. But they're both totally human and quick thinking and competent. And they see things essentially at the same speed that the audience sees them. They... they act on information in a totally believable way. And they're really detail-oriented. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't take a second uh, for Hopper to, like, walk out of the, the electric people place and be like, you know, remember the specific date we called off the search? Why did we call off the search? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was raining that night. And it's like, oh, why was it raining on the camera footage yeah. they just showed us? And he, he does that, and you're like, man... He's actually a, like a police officer. Yeah, he's he's a good detective. Yeah, he's cop. a he's a really good cop. He's a really good detective. And at a point where you would honestly believe that, I mean, when it gets to the point where you as an audience member are like, oh, these these uh, government officials, this Hawkins lab, Was I think it Hawkins. I think it's Hawkins. Yeah, really? Because that's the name of the city. It's it is Hawkins. Yeah. Sorry, but, but no Hawkins. That's Oh, God. What's happening? Everything's connected, Joe. Oh, no. We'll get to it later. Anyway, but these uh, these Hawkins Lab people, when you as an audience member are like, they're clearly doing something shady, and they're clearly dangerous, Hopper realizes that essentially the same time, and just starts punching people out. Oh, yeah, he punches. Hopper, when he realizes that he needs to get the information he wants, does anything he needs to. And Yeah, he, he's, <clears throat> he's, not, the, he's not the kind to... Uh try to reason with or, or like talk his way out mm-hmm. his fist totally does the talking for him my favorite thing about hopper is once he has made up his mind about something he's clearly going to do it because there's a there's maybe my favorite moment of his character is when he's trying to get into the morgue to examine will Byer's body he approaches the person at the door and says hey man i got a call from o'bannon downtown you gotta you gotta go talk to o'bannon the cop's like well i don't work for o'bannon because he's a fed and you see him you see hopper have this real moment of like oh i didn't want to have to knock this guy out i really didn't want this to happen and he just he purses his lips and he's like okay and just knocks the guy out yeah it's like well he was getting in there yeah. you weren't going to stop him really great moment yeah it's it's so good and uh, I think we already talked about how much 
how good Winona Ryder. Yeah, we already kind of like she's so good. Oh, she's also really detail oriented. Hopper sees like a cell with like kids' drawings and stick figures. Yep, and Winona Ryder just has to like turn around, you know, rifle a few like one or two things, and like has a drawing of her. That, that her son did, like, right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... She, she's like, of the year. She's like, hey, were they good drawings? And he's like, they were stick figures. So she shows him uh, Will's really good drawings. Like, well, it's not Will, then, because Will's really good. Like, Winona Ryder, like, she was one of the only, like, moms I've seen on television who, who said, like, well, Will would never do that, and I believe her. Yeah. Uh, their relationship is so good. They're so close. Yeah. Uh, and you you believe that they would become close because of their awful uh, stepdad situation. And I really like that one of the moments where the show lets your your feelings on what characters should do get out of step with what they actually do is when the the Christmas lights start blinking to show her things and she's like, oh, you think as an audience member, she should put letters on the wall of the alphabet to have him send messages. Two minutes later, she does that exact thing. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't telegraph it at all. No. She just thinks it at about the same time that you as an audience member think it. It's such a deeply satisfying show in that way. Yeah. All right, so uh, the the next group of people, I guess, the teens, we're going to go down in age. I'd like to talk about the kids. Oh, before the, before the teens. Let's talk about the I, kids. I have things to say about those teens. I mean, we're going to talk about the kids first. Teen feelings. Anyway, those kids. Ugh. So the kids... Oh. Okay. So, me and Henry disagree. Ugh. I think the kids were really good child actors. Okay, well, let, let, let's let's not set that up as the point I disagree with. No, they're great child actors. They're, yeah. they're perfect child actors. Mm-hmm. This isn't John Green territory. Oh. This isn't kids acting like adults. These are kids acting like kids. We accept the love we think we deserve. I don't know what that means because I haven't watched a single thing he's written. Good. The problem with kids being great child actors and portraying children really well... Children are annoying as hell and I don't like watching them. Children are really annoying and I I love that they're so good at being children. No, no, yeah. yeah no. The show, the acting, the writing, everything is perfect. I just don't like kids. Yeah, that that's fair. They do the exact same thing kids do. They have massive fallout over really petty things. They ignore obvious things for more fanciful solutions to them. They're openly prejudiced and, like, close-minded for no reason. Yep, just like kids. I'm sorry, Lucas. You do not have a reason to not trust Elle at the beginning of everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Not until she uses her power against you do you have an actual grievance. Lucas, you are a little twerp. Yeah, because he's insecure like kids are. Sure. Sure. Whatever. I don't... I don't care. They're 12. Yeah. They're the worst. They're the worst. Dustin's great. Dustin was okay. Dustin's Unbelievable that he knows how magnets work. Not magnets. Compasses work. Come on. I, I was in Eagle Scouts. Was he... I don't know, probably. Does he have parents? <laughs> Does he, actually? That's a good question. Does Lucas? No. <laughs> but there's no other parents in this town. But uh, I really liked their arc throughout where they... 
It was like you had this adult movie with the adults, and yeah. you had the kids, which was a children's movie. It was, it, was, like a, it was the Goonies. It was the Goonies. Like, Goonies plus E.T. It was kids going out to fight this monster with a slingshot. Yeah. You know, it was this really lighthearted kids' adventure with some notes of darkness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely notes of darkness. I mean, the problems they face are real problems. You know, the, the grievances, the, the conflicts they run into, the, the spats, I guess, they get into. Mm-hmm. They all, they're all real, and they all feel real. No, nothing they do feels like this is kids' bullshit, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the more I, I, I explain, the less of a, a leg I have to stand on. I mean... If you don't like watching them because you don't like kids, yeah. then that's good, because they did a good job. I, I just... Maybe one too many confrontations with the bully. Yeah. I thought those bullies weren't important after the second time they showed up. It's like, okay, the first... We, we open with them playing D&D. We get it. The audience understands they're nerds. Yeah. Then there's a bullying scene to show that not only are they nerds, but of course there's a pecking order. They're low on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's another scene where it's like, all right, well, what happens if you give nerds a telepath, a, yep. a telekinetic, you know, psycho warrior? Mm-hmm. And then a fourth scene where it's like, what happens if that psycho warrior is missing, but shows up at the opportune moment? And I liked, I didn't like a lot of things about that scene, the last one the bullies were a part of. Yeah. But I, I did like, I did like how it worked. I liked how it worked as a scene. I didn't think it was realistic that the bully would show up with a knife and, like, essentially force one of them to kill themselves. That seems pretty dark for a 12-year-old. Yeah, and, like, the the show does a really good job of setting up, oh, that's, like, you know, 40 feet drop that's, like, hitting concrete. So, Mm -hmm. like, it it does uh, the the Guardian sort of thing, which is a show about the the Navy SEALs or whatever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Coast Guard. Doesn't matter. Okay. Um, But that's where I learned if you hit water from above 40 feet, it's like hitting concrete. You break every bone in your body, Mm -hmm. which is a verbatim quote from the show as well. Mm. Uh, So, like, it does foreshadow that a little bit, which is okay. But it's just, I don't know. Cut that scene out and then focus on the mystery. Yeah, the mystery. Also, I really liked, uh, I liked Eleven. Eleven was fine. Uh, I liked how all the kids interacted with her. I liked the interplay. I loved how uh, they were running from the Hawkins Lab vans and their bikes. And it was thoroughly thrilling. Oh, yeah. It was like, really, they they use car chase cinematography to film them running away with their bikes. And it's so cool. And then they have, like, L on the bike and the fucking van flips through the air. So good. It's a reverse E.T., it is. You don't, you know, the bike doesn't go flying. The van goes flying. <laughs> yep. But, no, no, yeah, the, the, everything about their story is good, and I just don't like kids. But Elle, I liked because she was quiet. Elle was, Elle was quiet. I thought sometimes she was a little, uh, I mean, she was grown in a lab. I get that. Well, yeah. she was, she grew she, up in a lab. She's a sheltered child. But sometimes her naivete was a little annoying because you could see it coming from a mile away that she'd be like, what is jello? Yeah, well, pudding. Yeah, what is pudding? Stuff like that I didn't really like, but I loved her character otherwise. I really liked her, you know, like, struggling with the concept of pretty. Like, yes, I like that. That was really good, because it's like, if nobody knows what pretty is until we're socialized, and she's never been socialized. Yep. Also, okay, honest-to-goodness question. Yes. Did anyone really call them egos? What? Ego waffles? Yeah. See how you what you just did? Yeah. You 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 attached it to something. Yeah. 
You called it Ego Waffles. Yeah. In the show, countless times, they just call them Egos. Maybe in the 80s, things were different. That could be. People were all about them Egos. That makes me think that it's, they're made of egg. They are. Waffles have egg in them. Just egg? No, egg and other shit. Why don't they just call them waffles? Because That's, that, that was one of my biggest things. Wait. I always you, called them Eggo waffles. You're not going to say Lego my waffles. No, you would say Lego my Eggo, but that's just the slogan. The product is an Eggo waffle. It is an Eggo waffle. Let's say in a McDonald's, they whatever should, they got. They should have just said waffles. Weird. They, they should have just said waffle. Like, I get that you want to date the your your your, uh, your thing. <laughs> yeah. You want to you want to set your your story in a time and a place. Iron Mike wanted to date the thing. <laughs> you set your story. What Iron Mike? No, Mike wanted to date the thing. Not, L. That's not what we're talking. Date about. your thing. God, it's a it's a bit, Henry. You want to put your story in a time and a place, but everything else in the show is already doing that. We don't need the egos. We don't need the egos. Nobody needs an egos. We we can Lego the egos. An ego sounds like uggo. We can luggo those uggos. Does that uh, mean you carry them around? Yes, actually. So I don't know. That, that that's that's a gripe I have. If I'm naming my gripes, I mean of a show with few gripes. Oh, just you wait. Gripes of wrath. Nice. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I really like the kids. I think kids are fun. Next up, the teens. The teens. The. Some of the best acting and the story and character development in this whole show comes from them teens. I honestly think this is the strongest part of the show. It absolutely is. It's, okay, Winona Ryder, great actress, great actor. I don't know, whatever you say. Uh, David Harbour, great actress. Passable. Great actress. <laughs> uh, kids, really good child actor. Decent. But in terms of fucking bringing yeah. the acting game yeah the the teens oh, blow man. it out of the water haircut yeah john ralphie jr uh-huh and flat face yeah some of the best three actors in this entire show so uh was the son's name jonathan 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 steve, steve and nancy. nancy and also uh steve's two asshole friends oh yeah uh uh they didn't get names crimbo and jimless Nope. Crimbo and Jimless. Also, there's Barb. Also Barb. Oh, Barb! People really seem to like Barb. Barb was great. Barb had a really good look. I don't... Barb had a solid look. This is one thing I don't understand. Barb had a solid look. And... Barb was there. Yeah, Barb was there. I didn't like her. She had an expressive face. (laughs) It sounds like you're just... She had a good look and an expressive face. Can you explain this phenomenon where everyone loves Barb? Uh, just because she's relatable. She's relatable and and closed off and wants to keep Nancy from doing dumb stuff. Well, too bad. Nancy's got to live her life. Also, people love a martyr. All right. Uh, Wait, she she died for a cause? She did. Did she? She she died to be Barb. Born to be Barb. Born to be Barb. Hey, what would Barb do? Probably run away in a car. An unexceptional man turns into a great martyr. An unexceptional barb gets eaten by a demigorgon. Turns into an exceptional barber. Alright. So the teens. Starting the teens. With, where do you want to start? Uh, I want to start with, just generally speaking, Nancy. Alright, flat face. Nancy was a super interesting character. Really, 
really great how her personal relationships grew over time. She didn't know what she wanted necessarily. And who does at that age? But she didn't hem and haw about not knowing what she wanted. She just went out and experienced things and then thought about them later, which is what teens do. Yeah, I've got no complaints about Nancy. She was a really well-rounded character. You know, actually the brother-sister thing, the the interplay between her and Mike, Mm -hmm. was really realistic. Yep. Well done. You know, it's it's the it's the classic like okay, younger brother, older sister hate each other on television because mm-hmm. that's what they do on television. But also, they had real reasons for hating each other on because it's like I don't know, Steve's in the picture, whatever. Who cares? It's Man. it's hard to do siblings right. It's hard to do the the mixture of love and hate that siblings feel for each other at As, any given time, especially at that age. Because mm-hmm. it's like when you're young, everything is a reason to hate everyone else. I mean, if you have a kid that's twelve going through puberty, a kid that's sixteen, like entering life, yeah, they have to cohabitate and coexist and and share the fact that they're essentially the same person because of their raising. Like, there's gonna be a lot of feelings there. Yeah, and. No, Nancy was really great. Uh, I really, really enjoyed how she she grew as a person over the course of the series. But really, and not to um, not to give credit for a great female performance to dudes, but the fact that she was like the nexus of Jonathan and Steve as characters, great. Oh yeah, that that entire relationship may be the most convincing and satisfying love triangles kind of ever on television or movies how can you have a satisfying love triangle no and like satisfying to watch it resolve satisfying to see these characters because i was gonna say like because one leg of that triangle is not gonna be happy oh yeah no no no. it's just satisfying to watch how that happens and uh jonathan steve have a great realistic two guys like the same girl to a different degree and they both have very different lives and it is through knowing that there's this kind of shared like of this girl causes friction between them because when you first see jonathan and steve interact meaningfully steve is an asshole because he's breaking jonathan's cameras and then having his friends egg him on to do so but it's because jonathan inadvertently well advertently took pictures of nancy while she was undressing scandalous but it's because he was looking for his brother but you know he's also a teenager yeah of course he would do that sure he would but like justify it right no it's fine protect the pervert i get it but you in that moment you know why jonathan would do what he did you know why steve would break his camera because you'd be mad and also protective yeah you'd be, of your property you, whoa <laughs> well it, it is the 80s um but no no you would be protective like okay you we can't have people run around with pictures of people getting undressed one it's my house someone sees it and gives it to my parents i'm in trouble yep Two, got to protect her feelings. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. like that That's probably the major thing here. Because Steve, oh, Steve seems like an okay guy. Steve's all right. He's, the, the great thing about Steve is he is at his heart a good guy. And you don't realize that he has been pressured by his social group into being a bully until the very end. And you realize everything he's done that's made him objectionable to, objectionable to you as an audience member has been because his friends have egged him into doing it. And he really doesn't do that many objectionable things. I think breaking the camera is the only real thing. He acts like kind of an asshole when they're around because he's being big to his friends. Yeah. But when they're not around, he's a totally different person. He's a sweet guy. And, and I, I think 
why the teens are so much better, I guess, written is that in the kids' story, we've got a bully who is just unapologetically a bully. Just turns into more of a bully as the show progresses. And here we've got Steve, who, like, once he gets his ass handed to him, Mm -hmm. really, like, he has a reflective moment and, like, chooses to be the bigger person. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he's just like, hey, uh, two, you know, Jimless and, and, and Trumbo, mm-hmm. get the fuck out of my life. Which is a great moment. Which, you know, if it were me, sorry, I would have to, I would have to, like... Beat tr- the shit out of that guy? Yeah, I mean, come on. At least try. But the thing... Well, I mean, no, no, it's like, at that point, I would be so just, like, furious mm-hmm. that I would kill him, probably. But anyway. That's fair. But also, great redemptive moment for Steve when his <laughs> when his friend forces him to back down and he drives away, cuts those people out of his life forever, goes and meets uh, Jonathan and Nancy. Demogorgon is there. Steve fucks that thing up. Best moment in the show I, is is the first time like it comes through and Steve just is like, what, wait, what, 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 <laughs> yep. what is going on? I, I love when you see that happen to Steve because Steve has been on the far periphery of all of this and he has to learn everything fast and he <laughs> compare that to people in science fiction or horror movies who have to do that he gets really quickly acquainted with it and deals with it i i really wish they would have made the choice not to have him like do the fake out where he leaves mm. I, I really wish that like nancy and jonathan would be like well you're in this now you might as well hold a weapon yeah like <laughs> Sorry, you had to... We didn't. We don't want you here, but you're here, so... Mm-hmm. More hands on deck. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's great how quickly Steve... Once again, these characters being competent, how quickly Steve realizes, okay, this is fucked up, this thing wants to kill me, and, like, swipes at him, and he just fucking ruins the Demogorgon's day with a spiked bat. Yeah. He, he catches on quick, and he has a lot of stuff to prove because he was recently beaten up by a nerd. Well... Is Jonathan a nerd? No, actually, I was going to talk about Jonathan's character next. Jonathan's just a metalhead. Jonathan's... Not even that, he just likes music. Jonathan's a very... When you see his dad... Oh, yeah? Clearly, Jonathan sees a lot of his dad in him, and he hates it. Yeah. He clearly does not like it. He likes the music. He likes the music, but there's some of his dad in him, and he hates it. He hates his dad. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's very closed off. No one's been super kind to him, it seems like. He has a, a very nerdy kind of voyeuristic hobby. What? Taking pictures? Yeah. People make fun of him for taking pictures before he ever takes a picture of Nancy. Wow, that must be like the 80s talking. They make fun of him for being a camera guy. We've got cameras on our phones. You're right. The world's so different. People take pictures of themselves. That's, it's true. Da- daguerreotypes. But yeah. anyway... But no, Jonathan's character is super interesting because he has a... I say super interesting a lot about this show. You do. And most things. Yes. Very interesting. That's not even... Very great. Just say interesting. So he's interesting. Stop saying very. So he's very. Okay. Alright, so... Why is he interesting? Because... He's got your name. No. (laughs) No, it's just John. I know. I know. God, what? Jesus Christ. I'm gonna drop that Jesus fucking... Oh my God. Oh, Why is he interesting? He's interesting because you get to see the... Uh, like how with Steve, you could perceive him as a bully because you see how other kids at the school could perceive him that way. 
you see all of the things that are kind of deficient in Jonathan's character that a very cruel high school environment would perceive as weakness or weirdness and make him out to be a nerd. Yeah. Jonathan has problems. He realizes that. He he airs these to Nancy where he's like, I these are problems with my personality. I'm sorry that I have them. These are the reasons. Yeah. And he he tries to communicate to people, everyone's messed up. People make fun of me. People make me a pariah because I'm messed up, but we all have problems. You're just lucky because your problems are hidden. Yeah. Which is a, a very nice moment. Yeah, he's, he's very, like, as a character, he's very awake to, like, his situation in life. And I, I think he's been forced to be that way because he's had to uh, deal with his dad being the way he is and have to deal with not having a lot of friends or any friends. Yeah. He's, he's had to be aware of the way things work. One thing about Jonathan, the gripes of wrath yeah. are not sweet. Ooh. Why does he not show his mother the picture? What picture? The picture of the demigorgon. I don't know. It's the one thing that, that I really just don't... He expl- He gives a reason. He's like, she's been through enough. She doesn't need this. Mm. But I don't think that's a strong enough reason because he's got photographic evidence... Of the thing, and this is at this period of time in the show, where everyone thinks she's going crazy. Even she doubts herself. Mm. And now he's got photographic evidence. I would I would want to go to my mom and be like... Yeah. You know, I'm supporting you, and also, this is real. You know, let, let me validate your, your fear. And, like, we have to do something. That is a bit of an odd choice. But I, I think it has something to do with the story's... The kid story, the teen story, and the adult stories, they barely intersect until, like, the last two episodes. Mm-hmm. I, which, maybe that's something they wanted to do, that, you know, beat by beat, they wanted ABC story, mm-hmm. like, from a writing perspective. Me, I was waiting for, like, the town team-up, kind of like in Gravity Falls at the end. Mm-hmm. But, but, like, you know, still within these small group of people, um, I wanted them all to work together and in a way they did, but not quite in the way I was thinking it would happen. They worked together in a very segregated way. They were very separate when they were working together. And they did come to a, a really satisfying conclusion, but they they didn't do it together as a group, which would have been nice, because then so much information would have been shared, and they would have progressed from there. Yeah. But you know what's really interesting? What's super interesting? What's really super interesting, John? That we've almost gotten to the end of this supplemental reading and not talked about the soundtrack. We kind of did. A little bit. Creeping and dun 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 Pitch perfect soundtrack. It's great. Unbelievably good. At the end of every episode, like, you, you kind of know it's coming because of what's happening. But then, like, the music mm-hmm. really tips you off. And especially, like, actu- the actual music, I guess. The the, the songs with lyrics in The them. licensed music, yeah. yeah. That's really well done, too. It's, a, it's very, very rare for a show to uh, do its score well and its licensed music well. Uh, the last time I can think of a show doing it as well as Stranger Things is something like Lost. Oh, Lost was good with where, it. Where Lost had such a, such a great ear... For the music that fit the mood and fit the scene. And Stranger Things does it so, so well. The ending of episode two with that song, the Simon and Garfunkel uh, cover from the Bangles at the end of episode two. 
What's I, the name of the song? I forget the name of the song. The only song I remember from the series is the Should I Stay or Should I Go? The now. fact that Should I Stay or Should I Go is like a, what is it, a leitmotif yeah. throughout the show? Great. Yeah. Great stuff. And, oh, and a so question that, that needed to be answered mm-hmm. throughout the entire season. It's just like, should you stay in that house or should you go now? I mean, when Winona Ryder is running away from the house and yeah. the song starts playing and starts repeating the refrain of should I stay or should I go and she goes back to the house such a good moment I think Steve has a, you know kind of the same moment but I don't know if the song plays exactly at that time I, I'm not sure but it's really really great soundtrack they got synth wavy I, that's the part I love the most the most the most was uh, the synth wave because something about it the way it was used it wasn't in your face mm. it was like a highlight within the music it was it was very John Carpentery, very high synth, very high tension music, and there was a moment where this this music was creeping in and swelling during the Hopper and the other police person, whatever his name is. They were doing some investigating, like reading through microfiche at a library, and it just sent chills up my spine. It was such a good musical choice. Yeah, so, I guess. It makes really good, like, something is happening music, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like whirling gears, kind of, mm-hmm. in your head in, in a weird musical way. And because of the, the modulated, kind of warbling, synthy quality to it, it shows you something's happening, something's not right. And it, it adds to this feeling that the show has throughout, where it feels like all the characters are just dangling on a bridge over such deep darkness. The show feels like it's hanging on a thread, you know, the, these characters' connections to this, this other world, this dark, awful thing we don't understand, feels so tenuous. Everything feels... There's so much at stake. And the show uh, reinforces that with the ending. And the ending is one of the most subtly dark things I've seen them do on television. Yeah, the ending is really great. Because we, we get most of the stories resolved, but then there's just enough there... To let us know that we aren't done yet here, folks. It did a great job of resolving some of the most powerful, important, like, character conflicts. Uh, character relationships came to a really, a really nice conclusion. And the story didn't end. No. The, the, the characters, their arcs completed, but it sends a very clear message that the story they're telling is not over and it could get worse. I mean, Ego's going in a box, and Slugs come out of a boy's mouth. The fact that Will, like, shifted himself. He he shifted into the Upside Down, because I've, I've seen people say that it was either a hallucination or a flashback. It was the version of the room he was in, but the Upside Down version. I, I don't think it was a hallucination. It covered the entire room from our perspective. I, because we weren't seeing anything from Will's perspective. We are seeing objectively what happened, and uh, people have theorized that he's like out of step with reality. Oops, there goes he... gravity. Ooh, mom's no. spaghetti. <laughs> but no, no. So like, his he's not synced up with his reality. If I mean, he might end up in a situation like L did, where he can travel out of where he is, or at least see into the upside down, or part of him just still lives there a little bit. Well, I, I'm thinking something's trying to call him back. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what that would be. I mean, both literally and figuratively, he's still part of the upside down. 
like figuratively he's still part of it because even if that's just uh like a flashback or a hallucination part of his mind is still there and he's physically still attached to it because he puked up a weird other world slug yeah i mean he had a weird slug thing attached to his mouth yep what yeah and the other mystery is hopper's putting egos in a box so 11's probably still okay or someone who likes egos in a box you oh lucas <laughs> Man, what a cop-out if the next season starts with just Lucas opening the box and the Egos. <laughs> That'd be so dumb. I would laugh so hard if, he, like, you know, it's Lucas, he, he, like, goes to the box, not discovers it. He goes to the box, opens it, looks right into the camera, and just takes a bite out of an Ego. And then he says, Lego my Ego, stranger things. And he just bites it. And then he disintegrates. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then... And then it's just like, just kidding, we don't have a season two. <laughs> and that just starts playing season one of Saved by the Bell. Yeah. Perfect. Only the bell is replaced by Lucas's head winking the entire time. <laughs> just all Lucas. Oh, oh man. what a fever dream. That'd be great. So, uh, I guess ending discussed. We need to discuss another ending. Oh, we talked about two of them. We need to talk about the third ending. What's the third ending? The ending to this supplemental reading. You threw me for a loop, you rapscallion. The ultimate ending. The ending of us talking about this. Well, with some departing words, we should, uh, I don't know, rate this? Yeah, let's let's rate it. Let's rate it honestly. What kind of scale do we use? Uh, okay, here's the scale. Alright. It starts at, uh-uh. Okay. And then it goes from there, liked it, okay, love it, all right, gotta have it, okay. And then a picture of a man with the top of his head is like a like a nuclear bomb going off, like an atomic bomb explosion. Man head, all right. So it goes, nuh-uh, liked it, love it, gotta have it, and then nuclear head man. Yeah, nuclear head man is the number one rating. All right. Well, I'm just gonna go down the middle and say I loved it. Um, it was, I don't think it was nuclear mind-blowing. Yeah. It wasn't, uh-uh. So right in the middle. I, right I, in the middle? I okay. loved it. I loved it. Now, I loved it. But that's not where I stopped with it. Okay. Because I really loved it. So much so that. You, you, I gotta have it. You gotta have it. I gotta have it. Why is love, love is a neutral thing in this case? It's like right in the middle. Look. There's only one bad. All right. You like to love it, gotta have it. You gotta Explosion have it. Explosion Man Head. Well, that's because we probably wouldn't do a supplemental reading for something we didn't like. Man, there shouldn't even be a nuh-uh. Too late, you got it. Doesn't matter. Okay, scale stays the same. All right, so if you average those, you gotta have love. Wait, so if we get rid of the nuh-uh, is Stranger Things only a two out of five out of loved it? What? Wait, if you get rid of the nuh-uh... Oh, that's a two out of four. Yeah. Man, you're giving it less than 50%? No, I'm giving it 50%. Loved it. I loved it. I gotta have it. You gotta have it. You feel more strongly about it than I do. I enjoyed it. This is the only reason the scale exists. I, it, to make us argue? No, to, to, to show which one of us liked it more. Oh, it's not a contest. What? I'm leaving. <laughs> All right, folks. We're done, though. Yes, and if you enjoyed this supplemental reading, and you somehow enjoyed it, uh, let's say separate from the rest of the Zero Credits podcast and the Zero Credits podcast network, then 
Let me be the first to tell you that you should check out Zero Credits, a podcast with me, John. And also, I, Henry. And that's really the only podcast on the Zero Credits Podcast Network. Yeah, we really don't have a network. It's it's more just the one show. I, yeah, I mean, we have a network. It's like that network that only shows Green Acres. Oh, so we're TV land. Yeah. Except for Zero Credits. Yeah, TV Z-TV land. ZTV land, see? ZTV land, see. And speaking of things that are hard to say, if you want to talk to us about Stranger Things, share some of your greatest Stranger Things fan art, uh, link us to your Stranger Things Tumblr, or just, you know, discuss anything Stranger Things related, you should get at us at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. We already have a collection of Stranger Things related tweets. Do we follow the official Stranger Things Twitter? We in fact do. Oh, then don't even bother. No, actually, no, bother. Please. No, I'm just saying, like, we, we've been calling a certain sort of Twitter presence in the last week, and it's been Stranger Things. So get at us. Be a part of it. Join the conversation. Join the movement. You'd be dumb not to talk to us now that Stranger Things is in the zeitgeist. And if you think Twitter is lame and for squares, which you're right, but who cares? If you want to go back in time, you can send us an email at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. You can use sentences, words, whatever. You can put something in a subject line. You can CC it to your boss. You can BCC it and we wouldn't even know. You can PS it, attach a signature to that hot piece of shit. Give us a photo of a thing that you took a picture of with your camera that has to go into like a red room where you you know you got to get it developed and you got to shake it and you got to hang it a little bit and then yeah. then like if somebody opens a door it ruins the film and then you're like man now we don't have a picture of the monster which is what I totally thought was going to happen but it didn't man if you can show us like if you can send us some overexposed pictures of people undressing that'd be great wait oh wait no not that one no overexposed pictures of people in monster costumes yeah do that one that way we can send them to the national Enquirer and get rich you want us to get rich that way we can do the podcast full time we could do it for free and stop charging you for it i know this these these fees are getting out of hand they really Tic- are Ticketmaster takes everything by the way it's not us that's that's take it master in my book oh man good one nice burn so those are the two ways you can reach out to us if you loved this supplemental reading hell if you liked it if you explosion man headed it or if you gotta have more of it you not uh people stay out also john made a facebook page oh wait what to be continued okay well i guess bye <laughs> Bye! Stranger Things.